If you take your Bibles and open them to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, we're going to look at uh, one verse today, but you know, over these last few weeks, we've talked about the power of this big God to save. You know, it takes a big God to save us. Um, it's not you and God working it out. It's God doing it. God saves. Uh, we surrender. We bow down before him. We acknowledge that which God, only God can do. And that is save us. Over the weeks, we've talked about the, uh, the, the bad news, which is horrific news um, in our culture today that, that much of our culture does not even understand how bad it is. That you cannot save yourself. You know, we, people are trying to turn over the new leaf or, you know, they're trying to stop something and start something else. And, and, and eventually they're going to climb the pyramid and they're going to make it. Or they're going to hold on till they make it. And, you know, that's the tragedy of a, of a fallen world is that we try to save ourselves. Bad news is uh, we cannot save ourselves. The good news is we cannot save ourselves, right? That's good news. That's good news that God has recognized the very fact that we on our own by ourselves cannot save ourselves. And, and the really, really good news is that, that we don't even have to worry about that because God can save us. God does. Over the past few weeks, we talked about how that God intervenes in our life. It says that blessed is the God and the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. In Christ, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless and loved before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he's lavished on us in the beloved one. We learned how that the who of, of this is that God is the one who chose us. He chose us in him. God is the one who does that. And then we talked about when he did it, before the foundation of the world. Before you ever sinned, God knew that you needed a Redeemer, that you needed a Savior. That he knew that you had a character flaw that was brought about because of an endemic sin that has been passed on from the beginning till now. That we were born sinners. And then we get old enough to sin by choice. When we're children, we sin by nature. And then we got old enough to start sinning by choice. And we liked it. We liked sin. Sin was gratifying. It was instant gratification. At times, sin was pleasurable. We, we went after it like reckless abandonment. We couldn't get enough sin. It's five o'clock somewhere. Man, we knew it. And we were going after it like it was. I, we couldn't help it couldn't help it. We were sinners by nature. We were sinners by choice. And then yet the Bible says that before all of that, even before the foundation of the world, God chose us. And why did he choose us? He chose us that we might be home, holy and blameless 
The Bible says that we would be holy and blameless in love before Him. That in my life, I should desire holiness in my life. I should desire blameless in my life. That I would do all of that before Him. Not before people that would accept my sin. Not before society that says everything goes. There's no right, wrong, no end. There's just, it's just whatever you want to do. It's not that. It's before Him. Before Him. That we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. You know, and a few weeks ago when we talked about that very thing is that this, this is that very identifying mark in our life that we belong to God is that our life has changed. Sin does not have the luster it used to have. When we were Thanatos, when we could not control it and we were doing what came natural to us by choice and by nature, we were sinners. We were dead, spiritually dead. And then God made us alive and we became spiritually alive. And for the first time, sin took on a very ugly thing in our life. We hated it. We were ashamed of it. We were repulsed by it. We said, oh my goodness, I'm a Christian and look at me. I'm saying this and doing this and thinking this and watching this. And I'm ashamed that I'm doing any of it. Because God has made us alive. Because God lives in us then that sin should not reign in us because God wants to reign in us. But today we're going to talk about that one word that we mentioned last week, and that word is redemption. And today's thought is God redeems. God redeems. In fact, the Bible says we're not redeemed by perishable things like silver or gold, but we're redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb, according to 1 Peter 1.18. But also in Ephesians 1, 7, that one verse, Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus and he's reminding all of them there in Ephesus and the surrounding churches of Ephesus that we have something in Jesus Christ. He said, in him we have redemption. You ought to underscore that in your Bible. He says, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins or trespasses. You ought to underscore redemption, forgiveness, and then when you get to the bottom of that verse, according to the riches of His grace. Grace, the grace of God. God constantly giving us things that we do not deserve. I mean, mercy, that old adage is that God doesn't give us what we do deserve. But grace is what we ought to be just camped out on in our life because God is constantly pouring things in our life that there's no way in the world we deserve it. There's no way. There's no way you have not done good enough. Your family last name don't carry no stock whatsoever when it comes to God, right? Where you lived, where you grew up, the places that you, the choices that you made growing up, all of those things, while they may look good on your resume and on your bio, God knows, God knows. God knows we're wretched people. And God knows that we need grace every day of our lives. Not just any grace, 
by God's grace. So when we think of redemption, to be redeemed is to be set free from slavery. That once we were a slave to something and, and we couldn't control that urge and that desire. And that's what we were. We were a slave to it. I was in, in Columbus last Thursday afternoon and Jimmy Terrell's been working on my mom's house a little bit. So I said, Jim, you hungry? Let's go get a bite to eat at Little Porky's. He said, Little Porky's? He said, where's that? And I said, you'll see. It's down on some old dirt road in New Hope. And we're in Lowndes County, Mississippi. And I, he gets in my truck and we're driving down Willow Lane. And I look up at Mr. Bennett's house. And I said, you know, Jim, when I was a kid, me and my little brother used to break into that house all the time. We knew where they stored all their pocket change. Then we crossed the dam. We got over there to Mr. Odom's house. I said, you see that house right there? Me and my little brother, we broke into that house on a regular basis. Mr. and Mrs. Odom, boy, they always kept candy and chips and stuff for the grandkids when they came. And we counted ourselves as one of the grandkids. You see that house, Mr. Hatcher's house? Mr. Aldridge's house? Mr. Wood's house? We've been in every one of those houses when they wasn't at home. We got out on New Hope Road. We crossed those railroad tracks. When we got to that railroad track, I said, the first girl I ever kissed got killed right here on this railroad track. We climbed up that hill going up New Hope Road. That Brownlee's gun repair right out there on the back of that was a Baptist mission tent. I came to Jesus out there in that field, right there. Right there, right out there in that field. And I said, I'm going to tell you something, Jimmy Terrell. When I used to drive up in that parking lot, that Baptist Mission tent, I would sit there and I'd be overcome with the guilt of knowing that I wonder if they would let me even come under this tent if I knew that I was such a vandalizing fool, uh, such a, a kid that, that had reckless sin in his life. I wonder if they would even... I used to think, what would they do if they knew who I was? See, it really doesn't matter that I know who you are. It doesn't even matter if the person beside you knows who you are. God knows who you are. And that night in that Baptist mission tent, God knows, knew who I was. That I was a sinner. By nature, by choice. And I could not save myself. And I needed redemption. I need somebody to get me out of this slavery to sin. And there was only one that could do it. The only one was Jesus. So right there, the whole idea of redemption is to be set free from slavery. Prior, prior to Christ, we were slaves. I mean, we were slaves to the power of sin, to the guilt of sin, to the penalty of sin. I mean, think about it. Prior to Christ in our life, man, we were overcome by sin. We did. We sinned. We sinned naturally. Then we began to sin by choice when we got old enough to know right and wrong. We still chose wrong. Now, we may have chose right occasionally, but the default in our life was wrong. That's the default. See, that's the power of sin in our life. We were slaves to that power of sin. Think about that thing called the power of sin. Either 
You were once powerless to sin or you are now powerless to sin. But when you were or if you are now powerless to sin, this is how it looks. I know I've got a problem with this and I've got to fix it. I know that, that I've got a lust issue. I've got to quit looking. I've got, a, I've got an anger issue. I've got to start counting to three or to ten or a hundred. I've got to do something. Or I, I've got a problem with pride and I've got to quit thinking about myself like that. I've got a problem with, 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 with just vanity in my life. Thinking that I'm more important than I really am. And guess what? Without Jesus Christ, every one of those sins buries your life. Because you cannot, you cannot break that sin by yourself. See, we're powerless to that. We're powerless to the guilt of sin prior to Jesus I mean, the whole guilt problem of our world today, that we live in a world filled with guilt. People, we are guilty because we feel guilt because we are guilty. But if you are a Christian, God has done something about the guilt. Prior to becoming a Christian, you could not do something about the guilt. You drank to forget or you did something else to get over the guilt in your life. But you could not overcome guilt. Because guilt was there to stay. See, that's how life was prior to Jesus. That's what life was like. And even after we come to Jesus, we still have to at times deal with some of the guilt in our life. I was talking to a woman yesterday. Told me that she was cleaning out a, a cabinet at her, at her house and she kept every letter that's ever been written to her. By her grandkids, by her children when they were kids, and by her brother when he was in prison, he would write 30 pages at a time. She said, I sat there cleaning it out and read every letter over again. And then I read the letter from my brother that said, please come see me, because I'm not going to live much longer. And how she, she drove 10 hours to get there to be with him in the nursing home as he was dying. And there is, she, her back was hurting after she had driven that 10 hours. She said, I'll be back. I got to go rest in a motel somewhere. And he said, no, lay in the bed. Nobody's in this room but me. Just lay in the bed beside me. I do not want to die alone. Please don't leave me, sis. And she said, I told, I, t I told the nurse that I'm just going to a motel. Just call me if anything changes. Because they just assumed that he was going to die very quickly. And even though he was cognitively aware of everything that was going on. She gets to the motel and she lays down in the bed. And about three o'clock in the morning she gets a phone call. Said, I just want you to know your brother's died. She said, you know, Billy. I put that thought out of my mind for years now. And opening that letter today made me realize that this is a guilt that I will carry with me for the rest of my life. And I said, why? Why not give all of this to Jesus? Why? See, we are powerless 
to the guilt of sin. We're powerless to the, to, to the power of sin. We're powerless, man, even to the penalty of sin. Think about that penalty. We were on death row one day. Maybe you're on death row today, but you're on death row and there is nothing that's going to deliver you. You are there on death row because you deserve to be on death row. See, that's the penalty of that sin. We cannot get out of it. We are, we are slaves to it. We are guilty to it. And we cannot overcome it. And that's why the Bible says that in Jesus Christ, we have redemption. We have it in Christ. We are redeemed in Christ. I no longer have to be a slave to the power of sin or to the guilt of sin or to the penalty of sin. All of those things are put behind me now because I have redemption in Jesus. There is redemption. There is redemption to the power of sin in my life. I don't have to be a slave any longer to sin. See, that's the beauty of being a Christian. There was a time before I became a Christian, I couldn't stop it. My God, I couldn't stop it. I mean, I couldn't stop it. Whatever it was, whatever was owning me, I was obsessed by it. I couldn't stop it. And truth be known, I didn't really want to stop it. And then Jesus Christ in that Baptist mission tent that night, all of a sudden I drove in there, a pure, died in the wool pagan, and I drove out of there a child of God. And it wasn't something I prayed. It wasn't just as I am on the 40th verse. It was the fact that I knew right then and there that if I am going to give, follow Christ, that I have got to turn my back on sin. I've got to put my back to sin. And I've got to cut my face as a flint to God. And say, God, I'm marching to you. I'm going to follow you. If it's the last thing I do for the rest of my life, I am going to follow you. You are enough for me. Your redemption is enough for me. In him, we have redemption. We have redemption over the fact that we don't have to live under the guilt of sin anymore. Isaiah 1.8 says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God, only God can make us white as snow. We don't have to live under the guilt of sin. We don't have to live under the penalty of sin. When Romans 5 tells us, For we were all still helpless and hopeless at the appointed moment, and then Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely someone will die for a just person, though a, for a good person perhaps someone might dare to die. But God proved his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ redeemed us from the penalty of sin. Christ's death on the cross was enough for the penalty of our sin that we don't have to live any longer on a death row, sentenced to death. We have now been given life and that life is in the person of Christ. We can walk in freedom. We don't have to walk in darkness we can walk in that freedom. 
The freedom that only Christ can give. Christ is our freedom. He is the one who says in redemption, in him we have redemption. In Christ alone we have redemption. The forgiveness of sin. That is a powerful truth. The Spirit of Almighty God forgives us, wipes the slate clean. Not that we're not going to struggle, not that we're not going to have issues with that old nature in our life, but we have the ability now because of the new nature to suppress the old nature. In times past, all we had was the old nature. No new nature. But now in Christ Jesus, we have a new nature. We have redemption. And we can say no. We can keep saying no. And sometimes we may say yes out of the corner of our mouth, but we still know that we can still say no. I don't have to live like this any longer. In Him, Jesus, we have forgiveness. Forgiveness, if we got to be forgiven for something, that means that we're guilty of something, right? We have redemption in Him, the forgiveness of sins. Because we need forgiveness in our life. We need the forgiveness that only God can bring in our life. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but they also walk after the Spirit. In Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. You don't have to live a condemned life if you're walking in Christ Jesus. I read a neat little article the other day that Gordon MacDonald wrote. It was about this whole subject matter of sin. And Gordon MacDonald said that when he was a young Christian, he was um, just, just dealing with those, that dynamic tension between the old life and the new life and, and all that was going on with that. And, and he dreamed in a dream that he was at a party. And he said it was the most vivid theological truth that, that I've ever received from a dream. He said, while I was at that party, everybody had name tags on. And on those name tags, he said, like my name, hello, my name is Gordon. And at the bottom of the name tag, it says, adulterer. Because Gordon said, I thought dirty thoughts. And I was guilty. I looked around and there was Linda. Hello, my name is Linda. Lying Linda. Liar. Hello, my name is Rachel. Thief. Hello. Hello, my name. And you put whoever's name there. But all up under them was the, the adjectives of their life. Then all of a sudden the door opened. And in walked Jesus. And he walked up to every person there in that room. And he took their name tag off and he put it on himself. And Jesus became at the cross an adulterer, a liar, a cheat, a thief, a fornicator, untruthful and unjust and unkind. That Jesus Christ became every imaginable sin that we could ever imagine in our life. Christ Jesus became. And Gordon MacDonald said, I woke up from that. And for the first time in my life, I realized this is what I am now in Christ. I am free. I'm no longer that person. 
I have been redeemed. And I have been redeemed in Christ Jesus. And he has forgiven me of all my sin. The Bible says that he has separated them as far as the east is from the west. And he has put them behind his back and he remembers them no more. Micah 7, 19 says he has buried my sin in the depths of the sea. He's removed them as far as the east is from the west. And he's put them in the deepest parts of the sea. He said, I am burying these. You don't have to ever be held accountable for these. Because I redeemed you. You are redeemed. We're redeemed. In Jesus Christ, our redemption is through his blood. The redemption of sins through the blood of Christ. Isaiah 53 says, Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Since so, so he is despised and rejected a man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid our faces from him. He was despised and he was esteemed and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs. Surely he has carried our sorrows. Yet we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. And everyone has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Isaiah 53 is painting a picture of the cross. 750 years in the future. That there naked and on that center cross that day would be the son of God that never sinned a day in his life. And there he would become the sin of the whole wide world. That when we looked at him we would have to cover our faces. Because of the shame that he endured at the cross. Though he never sinned he became. There was nothing about him we, we desired of him. That we, we saw him rejected and smitten by God. Why? So that God could forgive us of our sin. So when, when we, we look at our sin in our life, our children's life, our grandchildren's life, and we don't see it as a big deal, God sees it differently than a big deal. God sees that sin. And he knows that it costs his son's blood to redeem us from that sin. In Jesus Christ, we have redemption and we have that redemption through his blood. You know, Fanny Crosby was born on the 24th day of March, 1820 in a little place called Brewster, New York. Six weeks of age, she had a cold and her parents took her to the doctor and she had an eye infection and they put the wrong salve on her eyes and she was stricken blind. That was Fanny. That was her life. But she didn't let blindness stop her. She was productive in her life, in her young life. She wrote things. She wrote poems. She wrote all kinds of things. Then in the fall of 1850, Fanny Crosby was invited to a camp meeting revival that was put on in the small town where she lived. And she was carried each night. And she says in her biography on one of those nights in that camp meeting revival, I felt the stirring of God that I needed to go forward 
She said, I went forward and the elders came down. They laid hands on me and prayed for me. I felt good while they were praying for me. And I got up and I walked out of that dark room because her whole world was dark. I walked into my dark home and the darkness took over my life again. The next night of the revival, she said, I went back to that revival. I sat there. The preacher preached. The invitation was extended. I went forward with the help and I knelt again and the elders came and prayed over me again. And I felt good just like I did the night before. It felt good for people to touch me and to pray for me. I got up in that dark room. I walked out of that dark place. I walked back to my dark home. And in my dark room, in that dark night, I realized my heart was still dark. There was no light in my life. She went for a couple of more nights. And then finally, on that third time that she went down the aisle, she said, that was it. Because Fanny Crosby realized the problem with her life is that she wanted everything the world could give her and everything that God could give her. And she wanted them both at the same time. And Fanny Crosby said that night, I knelt there and I let go of the world. And I took only a hold of God. And I said, God, for the rest of my life, I will follow you. You can't read a Baptist hymnal without reading about Fanny Crosby. But when she was asked later in life, what one song did you write that best reflected what God had done in your life? And this was uh, that song, Redeemed. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child forever I am. Redeemed. See, God redeems. He redeems us, and He redeems us forever. We are forever redeemed in the person of Jesus. Let's bow. In Him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Father God, for those of us who, who know full well the liberty that comes when we turn our back to the things of the flesh and we turn towards you and we trust you and you alone to be our Savior. 
We die to our old self and we become alive to you. And God, you quickened us. You made us alive. We realize, God, it was you all along that tendered our heart. It was you all along, God, that made us just be broken because of guilt. But you didn't leave us guilty. You paid the penalty so that we did not have to live and die in, in control of the power of sin or the power of guilt or the, or the penalty of that sin. You set us free. Lord, for that man or woman that has drifted from that moment to this day and they realize that, that they've gone back and they've taken up some of the things that they've turned their back on a long time ago and yet, God, there's no joy in their life. The reason is because, God, you don't hear the prayers of those who, who willfully cherish sin. There's no power associated with a rebellious heart. God, you, you break us in our sin so that you can use us for your glory. So that may this be that moment of just surrender, God. We surrender. For that man or woman that's drifted into this room today and maybe they've been sitting here for years and they're just like old Fanny. They've knelt at altars People have prayed over them and for them. And their world is dark. It's just dark, dark. And what they need to know today is, God, that, that if you've put the desire in their heart for them to turn from that sin and turn to you, Lord, you made them alive to that. And Lord, this is that day. Maybe this very day is that day that they say, yes. I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm going to do it for the rest of my life. All of me. To all of him. For these few moments, as um, Brooke and Nathan leads us in an invitation hymn, you can... Right there in your pew, just commune with God. If God leads you to respond to this message by getting up and coming and somebody will meet you here and take you out of this room if they need to and pray with you. I'll pray with you right here in this room. But if today God is calling you and saying, I want to redeem your life. I want to deliver you from the slavery of your sin. You're miserable. You're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Jesus said, I want to come to you. I want to deliver you today. Will you trust him? Will you?